All right, we're going through our next uh, thing here, uh, our next category. Uh, we've been talking about the <clears throat> different types of uh, teaching that the Bible gives us, so where we learn from in the scriptures. And as you can see, we're going from the more concrete down to um, the more subjective types. What is inference? It's something you can infer by interpretation. Okay. Kind of an indication. Okay. What is the opposite of an inference? Does anybody know? Conference? <laughs> <laughs> I would assume more direct. In, uh, there's, so there's two words that a lot of people um, get mixed up, and that's inference and implication. To imply, and a lot of people you'll hear, uh, people use one when they mean the other. So uh, what I want to talk about is first uh, the difference between in, in inference and implication. An implication is if I intend to communicate something, uh, it might not be direct, but I intended that thought, uh, but an inference is when I pull something out. I'm interpreting this to mean that. And a lot of times people say, well, this, this verse implies that we should do that. Well, it may and it may not. You've obviously inferred that. You've obviously drawn that conclusion. But it may or may not be there. Now, it may be implied, but it may not be implied. But you've definitely inferred it. And that's why I, I want to be clear on this topic of uh, inference and implication. Uh, we talk about connecting the dots. That's an inference. Now, the dots may connect. If they are implied, they connect. Uh, if they truly uh, connect, that is. We, we do this all the time. There's very little that we don't. Um, connect the dots to because the Bible's not a you know it's not like a tech manual in it you know uh, you you get something out and it says slide grommet A into panel C and I mean the Bible's not written like that in that case the manual connects all the dots for you right but in the Bible we we have to sometimes connect dots to 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 come up with things. Uh, and we do this without thinking. Let me give you an example. Is polygamy a valid marital status? I use a silly illustration. Is it? No, I'm not talking about legally. I'm talking about as God sees it. Is polygamy a valid moral? Would we all agree that that's not? Why, why would you say it's not? Is the, where's the New Testament verse that says it's not? Okay, so um, let me give you two verses, and this is kind of interesting. It's like an inference within an inference. We read these verses and we, uh, we infer uh, that when God says one and one make two, you know, like that the two... <laughs> We do the inference that he's excluding the others. We've connected. Now notice that Paul, and by inspiration, inferred from the first 
verse, Genesis, which he's obviously quoting, what did he infer? He inferred the word to. You'll notice that if you read Genesis 2.24, the word to is not in there. He inferred that. He added that in Ephesians 5. Now, he did so by inspiration. But that is an inference. So, so inference can be valid, and there's more. I'm, I'm using a silly illustration that we could go through to infer that. We have more dots that we could connect. Well, it's not necessarily a bad inference. No. Because Genesis 2, there was only Adam and Eve. Not right, and, and, and not all inferences are bad, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this is, we, we began by talking about saying these four things are valid. It is, it is valid to connect dots. It's just the more down this um, column we get, the more careful we have to be. When you're inferring, you have to be extremely cautious. You, can't, you read a, a direct statement, it's a direct statement. There's almost no caution necessary. Unless you're really bad at reading. You know. But inference we have to be extremely cautious with. So um, here's another one. Why do we baptize why why do we not baptize babies? Okay. So where is the scriptures that says that a baby has to have a choice to believe? There's nowhere. I mean, there's nowhere that says absolutely a person heretofore being baptized shall be able to make the choice to... But we infer it from Mark 16.16 and Acts 2.38 that baptism is connected in both cases to an event which is an intellectual activity. A responsible intellectual activity. So we connect the dots and we infer what may not be intended to have been communicated, but it's still there. And as you see, it works both ways because if you talk to somebody who has a Lutheran they infer that you should baptize a baby because then they'll receive the Holy Spirit earlier. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the scripture says you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. So they infer it too. So right. You have to be really careful on how you infer because your interpretation of inferring and what you're using could be contrary to Scripture. Sure, exactly. That's a really good point. Um, so, uh, we want to talk about, as we talk about different types of inference, there are several different types of inference. Uh, and one is example. Um, one of the things that we pay attention to frequently is what the first church did. The early church were one of those similar phrases, right? Is example a valid type of inference? Or can it be, I should say? Yes. Yes. To a degree. And, and this is why I say this. this is way down the list of, of types of teaching, but yes. Uh, do you have a question? Okay. Um, why do we take the Lord's Supper on Sunday? Because this is when we gather. Okay. So if we gathered on Tuesday, just 
Would we take it on Tuesday? Sure could. We got it on Wednesday. And we don't take it on Wednesday. We infer from Acts 27 an example, don't we? Um, that, and we could add to this Revelation 1.10. I don't have it up there. Revelation 1.10 says, I was in, in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. There was a day called the Lord's Day. Now, I'm not sure which day of the week is, but if I'm going to connect some dots... I'm going to assume the day, the Lord's day of the week would probably be the one that they're meeting to celebrate the Lord's communion on. The day of his resurrection. Uh, There's another scripture. I'm going to not just uh, stop there, but Mark 16, uh, 1 through 6 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away? And, say, and it goes on, uh, and talks about he's, he's risen. Right? So, so we see all these important events connected around the first day of the week. Uh, so we would infer, but there's no absolute direct statement. Uh, we just infer from that. And, and we think that example is important to a certain degree. Uh, So, it is a valid, again, so long as we are cautious uh, using it. What is the problem with this type of an inference, using the example of what they did? What what are some of the limits, do you suppose? What would be a problem? Were they perfect? No. You start taking literal. Okay, I'm, t- I'm starting to move inference up into a direct thing. Uh, it needs to have substance beyond um, just they did it. That someone did it does not tell me that I'm supposed to do it. It needs to be combined. We've combined things with with principles, or we combine things. I was going to say um, some of the inference that's drawn from some of the scriptures that are incorrect is like you are saved by grace, and therefore you can't do anything for your own salvation, and therefore baptism is not what we're saved by. You know, some of those incorrect inferences that are taken. Okay. But, okay, remember, we're, we're talking specifically about example. We're not talking about some of the, 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 the doctrine things that, that people make major errors on in, in, in uh, inference. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we do not do that they did, and vice versa. Uh, I'm not sure if I have these. Let's see. Acts, someone want to read Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 34. And we'll see if we do this one here. Acts 4, 32 through 34. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his 
own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money for the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone as he had need. Do you know how many times this verse is used to promote communal living? Do we, do we live in a social commune and, and sell all our possessions? It's right there. They did it. The first church, uh, the very first church did it. Ah, next week we shall talk about context. That's also important. But we can't just say it simply on the basis of the example that we do something. It's combined with something else. It has to be understood through the lens of something else. Uh, here's another one. Let's see, Acts 5.42. Don't have to go too far. Acts 5.42. They activated the temple courts, uh, and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Do we go to church every day? Why not? They did. They did. We would have to combine it with something, and we'd again have to understand some context. Here's another one, Acts 14.1. <clears throat> Do we go into other church buildings and start preaching? No. We do not, but they did. Just walking into a Baptist church down the street. <clears throat> All right, here to proclaim it. They did it. I'm doing it. No. But they were Jews. There's more to the story, isn't there? There's, there's, there's more that we'd have to understand. So example alone is not... Um, a valuable way to infer. Uh, but example alone can teach us something. There is one thing that an example without anything else can teach us. Only one. And that is, it can allow something. Right? If, in other words, morally speaking, if, if one time something was condoned, morally speaking, an apostle did this, then it's allowable. I don't think it would be disallowable for someone to go down to the Baptist church, walk in and start standing up and at a moment where they offer, I've got some uh, gospel things to share with you. This is on my I don't think that would be wrong. It might not be productive. I don't think it would be morally incorrect. Right? The example of them doing it shows that something is allowable, but it does not show that it's required. And that's the difference. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> what are some areas where people have taken too much from example? Can you think of anything where someone has said, well, the early church did this, and um, this is the way they did it, we see that in the Bible, that they did it this way, we have to do it this way. 
Can you think of anything? Read my mind. She didn't see my notes. Is it allowable to use one cup? Knock yourself out. I will go down the street. I want to be first in line. Can you require it? Not without something more than that. Not without something more. <clears throat> Here's another one. Let's see if this is up here, Jonathan. There are churches that do this at the at the communion. I don't think they're churches of Christ, but they are there are churches. Foot washing ceremonies. Jesus did it. But Jesus said, You also should do this. I mean, is there more of it? Again, we have to understand some context <coughs> for that statement. Uh, but, I mean, that's, that's pretty clear. He said, I'm doing this, you should do it, right? We've inferring that he's saying something, which he may or may not be. So what we want to do is, as we've said all the time, we want to put the things that are higher up in the category first. Uh, put things in the uh, correct order. So I want to compare 1 Corinthians. If someone can read 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 8. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 8. And then if someone could read 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. If someone grabs First Corinthians, you can start whenever. Seven, 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 eight. Yep. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Okay. Again, has anyone ever taken this too far? Does somebody have 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3? The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings include <coughs> hypocritical liars which consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Okay. So, he says, listen. Paul says, hey. And we can look at it and say, example by example. And Paul even said, I wish people were like me. I wish people would make this decision. And again, we'd have to go into context and why he was saying that and whatnot. And not get married. He writes a later letter on and says, Some people are going to take these statements too far and forbid people to get married. Not what I was intending. Not what I was intending. Uh, whether or not he was referring to the Catholic Church, I don't know. But I know that they're definitely in the group of people that do that. So. Do that, and they've kind of died out. 
Well, yeah, there's a biological... <coughs> the, human, the human species is uh, one generation from complete extinction if we follow Paul's advice. I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so... Um, So we put the more literal statements first, right? Uh, weight has to be given to the to verses with substance more than just the the example. Um, <clears throat> we are not going to get through this all today, which is good because that's less to prepare next week. <laughs> so here's some questions. Right? Um, I have some questions when people want to jump to example as a proof how far do we go back do we go to the early church do we go to the later church of the first century you know like around revelation do we go to the what we call the apostolic fathers the apostolic fathers were kind of like the people that were taught by the apostles right these were men who knew maybe the Apostle John, like Papias or Polycarp or some of those, right? No. Do we go to the Do we go to the men who were taught by the men who knew the apostles? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like how far is this example valid for? Because people will kind of slide in. Well, this is what they did in 150. Well, now Apostle John's been dead for 50 years. Is is this still valid? How do we know that they didn't change things? I, I drove down to Iowa. Uh, on Friday, and uh, my town, where I went to college 22 years ago, is pretty different. I'm driving in, the restaurant I worked at is closed. Actually, it was closed, and now it's been sold to a new owner, and who knows what it'll be when... I was like, huh. Drive down. The dorm, the boys' dorm, is in shambles. The girls' dorm looked pretty nice. So they sold them off. You know, the, the, the Bible college where I went, it's closed down. Someone's bought those buildings. Things change. Now, to be fair, it didn't change all that much. The boys' dorm was in shambles when I was there. <laughs> but the girls' dorm was nice. That wasn't the case. Things change. How much did things change in those 20 years? And when there's one apostle left... In 80 or 90, with John, how, how much is John able to get everything under his control all over the world? Not very likely. So, example is not necessarily so valid. So that's one question that I have. Uh, another question that I have is, do we have all the examples available to show that something should or shouldn't be done? I mean, to sit there and say that someone did something in some church somewhere... By, by example, is that all the examples we have necessary? Let me give you an example here. Here? See how many times I can use the example in a sentence. What would you say about the life of people who live here? Nice? Yeah, the shady spot. This is off of Google Earth, so I can't. I can't. They're sometimes patched together or whatever. But what would you say the average life is like? Baseball fields? Yeah, I think those are baseball fields. 
So they play baseball. It looks like there's a lake in there. Maybe some fishing. Would you say that that describes a pretty leisurely area to live in? It would appear that way based on the information that we have. However, oopsie. However, that is right in the middle of Manhattan. Those people do not live leisurely. Based on a cherry-picked thing, now, there was evidence, by the way, of a big skyscraper shadow. I was like, oh, man, that's the only place I could... It's like, why couldn't the sun be coming from a different way? And the fact that in this park there's like nine baseball fields shows a, probably a high population. I was hoping you wouldn't get on that. But, but you see, there's, there's a... What if the examples we have... What, really, what amount of material do we have of what the early church did? We don't really have that much. If we knew everything they did, it might place a lot more context around those things. So, so example is, like I say, it is very subjective. Just say, well, we have this writing of this person who... Okay, so maybe in Turkey they did that. I don't know that, that they did that everywhere. That's not a valid proof of things. But if we have to accept that it's inspired... Do we assume that the good Lord put in what we need to know? Examples that we okay, so, so this is where we get between the, the cross between inferring and implying. Is every detail that is, we're inferring that every detail mentioned um, is intended to tell us that we're supposed to do something or not do something when they might be details of a story, right? Um, or or in even and part of what I'm trying to say is, what I'm referring to is these, these later examples when we say, well, in the year 120, this church was doing this, and we add a lot of these things in, right? Uh, not necessarily, and this is why I've said, just because they did something, just because there's a detail in the Bible doesn't mean it's an implication that we're supposed to, as in the case of one cup. That might just be something they did. For a reason, or because it's tradition. Um, if you took a first century Christian and he walked through the back door to our worship service, there is no worry he would just go bikers, turn around and walk out. Right. Because of what he did and what they did right. in the first century church. Right. You can't get over that. You can't get over that the church has to, in some way, reconcile with the area that you live in. Because obviously, here is different than Hawaii. Hawaii is different than England. And with the way they worship and what they do. But, there is a constant. The constant is, you look at scriptures that are for all time. Such as, God is God of what? Mm -hmm. Not of chaos. Right. Is organization. Right. So whatever you're doing, it better be organized and it better be to worship God. That is consistent. The, the other stuff, otherwise we'd be prophesying right now, and you, you'd be uh, also let's say that prophesying and, and interpreting. Yeah. yeah. We don't do that. 
right. they did it in the first century church. Right. Now, which one is right and which one is wrong? But there are churches out there that, hey, if you do not speak in tongues, you have not received the Holy Spirit. Right. right. Well, which one's right which one's wrong? Right. And it gets very ugly, it gets very messy, and that's why when I was a kid, there was no eating and there was no refrigerator in the basement, and now there is. And it progresses up, but it still has to fall within the context of what the scripture of the scriptures that are constant. Right. And you and have to figure out what you you make a good you make a really good point because even in doing that, we're all going to make uh, we're all going to allow things. It's necessary that we will allow things that weren't done, and that we will do things that weren't no eating in the church building because they uh, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. Did, right. Where's the church building? You're already making an inference that it's okay to have a church building. Where did they do that? <laughs> they didn't. So, so you've allowed one thing already before you even get to the whether there's food in it or not. So, um, I always was taught that the reason why we give, on, you know, on Sunday was because of First Corinthians 16:1. So I was just reading that, and uh, you know, we know what it says. But then it also says, uh, so then when I arrive, I'll give letters and introductions uh, to men that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So we don't send our contribution to Jerusalem. Right. How how detailed? There's another question we could have up there: is how detailed do we want to be in these things? Right. So so there's so to your question, yes, there are things in there that were done by example that are done. And God wanted them, and this is where we have to be really, really cautious. And this is why I say, you get those by combining them with other direct statements or other uh, principles or ideas, um, maybe even a prophecy if something was was shown to be connected by way of a prophecy. I don't know of too many examples like that, but that would be more solid to me than, than would simply whether they did it or not. Um, there would have to be an inference of, of why they did it or didn't do it. Um, or, or a statement, there are statements uh, where they say, and these are not done in all of this, or this is the example in all of the churches. Well, if Paul says that, he's saying this is a universal thing. I don't allow this in all of the churches. Okay, we have just kind of widened out the view and said, here it is. This is the entirety of this picture. There you go. There's an in, there's an implication there. So not merely an inference. So I want to talk about the last one here, uh, with a few minutes left, and this is called incidental truth, uh, incidental or incidental lessons, whatever you want to call it. This is where uh, discovery of a truth. Um, oops, here. Let me back up here. Where the uh, we discover a truth that might not have been intended, but something uh, in the text is a fact and leads us to another question. Okay, So, um, someone want to read uh, Acts 8, 35 through 39? Acts 8, 35 through 39. <coughs> As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and Enoch said, Here is water. What can stand in the way of, being, of, us, uh, of my being baptized? 
and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and Enoch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Okay. Can I infer some things from here that might not have been written so that I would learn them, but they're lessons nonetheless? I stuck one on the thing. It's down into the water. All right, there's two things. The first one is that we don't know specifically what he preached. He preached Jesus to him. But something about preaching Jesus, this man concluded baptism. I don't think he did this by some amazing you know, feat of... Uh, telekinetics or whatever. So I think he is probably the gospel included baptism somewhere. That's an inference, but I don't see how it could be any other way. It's an inference. Not what that, I don't think that was, this was written there to tell me that. But it is a, a, it is a direct thing. And then we say, well, baptism is by immersion. Isn't that in there? They went down and went up. Now, what's the problem? Go down into a river because there's a bank. It's lower than the ground. Well, he went down into the water and he came up out of it. What's the problem? There is a problem with inferring that baptism is by immersion. Simply from this example. Did he did he go down into his waist and oh? And then have water poured on top of him? We don't know that. Do we? I don't know that. Do we know that this was always done this way? I don't know that. Again, I have a limited thing. So simply from this example, I cannot infer that. Now, we would pull in other things, such as, you know, the definition of the word, which means to dunk. That's kind of an important fact. But simply on the basis of this example, I cannot infer the second one. If I'm being honest, I cannot do that. I can definitely infer the first one. I think they would have used a little different language if the water was just ankle deep. You would think. You would think. But again, I can't prove that. And, and, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to show is, is that we want to be responsible with inferring things and know not to try to get too far. Uh, so, uh, so we want to get these in the right order. So often we jump to conclusions about an incidental truth um, and then another passage will directly contradict it. Uh, just a plain statement. And you go, man, that was a good theory. Now I've got to give it up. And sometimes people will get so far into their really cool theory based on an inference they drew that a bold statement right there, they can't see it. Uh, just, or don't want to. Right? So... Um, I'll give you one that I grew up with. First uh, Peter three three through five. Someone want to read that? First Peter three three through five. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah. You obey Abraham and call him the master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Can you guess what I was raised to know and believe that women could not do from this passage? 
Wear jewelry. Wear makeup. Oh, yes. Wear. Okay. Now, this is kind of interesting. He cites holy women of old as an example for this. Okay. Therefore, we could look at holy women of old, and we would read Genesis 24. I'll just read it since we're about getting to the end here. Genesis chapter uh, 24, verse 52 and 53 says, Abraham's servant heard these words. He bowed himself to the earth in front of the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah and also to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. Let's talk about the cost of these ornaments. Um, we back up a little bit. He says, When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for arms weighing ten gold shekels. So about $8,000 worth of gold. In today's valuation. <laughs> Just on just the gold, that's just the spot price of gold. Right? It was about like a, I forgot, it's like a half a pound of gold or something like that, or a quarter pound of gold or something like that. I think it was a quarter pound of gold. Um, she wore jewelry. A holy woman of old. So these are not mutually exclusive. Right? Yeah. And then they followed what Sarah was doing. Yes. So now we're inferring, but we're probably not inferring too far. Um, so so here, here's a statement that directly contradicts an inference. It was just flat out. The holy women of old wore gold, so your conclusion you've drawn from this is incorrect. So um, I want to talk about conflicting principles. This is one step down. And... Um, Sometimes a, uh, in a, a, something people draw from, I'll give you an example here. There's, here's, a, here's a thought, a text, right? And we have a, some details and then we draw a conclusion. And sometimes we can put a parallel there and we, we can match up things. This is kind of the way parables were taught. But if the conclusions you reach contradict each other, then you've interpreted it incorrectly. I'll give you an example uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 25. And again, I'll read that. Uh, if I have it, here we go. He says, As it were, there are, the, there are many parts, but there's one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have any need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and on our presentable, unpresentable parts... We treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body and given greater honor to the part that lacked that there may be no division in the body, but that the members ha may have the same care for one another. Now, <clears throat> let me explain to you how this was taught to me. Because someone at the Bible college, uh, or before I was there, was asked, based on the last text that we read, why do men get to wear ties? Why, why do you get to adorn yourself with stuff that's not necessary? Boom! Now you've got this verse right here. This is the verse that they use. See, this is your 
present, this is your unpresentable part. So we're able, when we're allowable, and this is in the illustration, to decorate them more. Now, my first thought was, well, then why are necklaces forbidden? Because they are about the same spot as a tie would be. But logic, let's, let's forget that, that logic. Let's just deal with the misuse of this passage. Because if I take this passage, what it's intended lesson is, the, the principle he's trying to teach, and now we look at the secondary lesson, if I plug my conclusion of my secondary lesson back into the original intent, the intent will come out wrong. This lesson is intended to be talking about how we have unity in the body. And he's saying there are, there are people that we consider less comely. You know what I'm saying? There's people that in the church, they're, they're really talented and they're just, they, they do everything awesome and everybody wants them to be the, the, the lead on this and the lead on that. And they do everything so great and, and they have a little following. And then there's people that aren't that. And he says, on these we bestow greater honor. We go out of our way to make them feel apart. That's the intended lesson. We don't let them sit there and feel less important. We compliment them. We, we, we don't shun them. We don't put them off in a corner. We don't try to find a place for them so that, that people won't recognize them or see them. We elevate them. That's the intended lesson. Now, let's plug out in what we just learned that people use this for, or some have. You've probably never heard that. And see if that we come out with the same answer. So what they're saying is, well, our comely parts have no need, so therefore we do nothing. We don't adorn with any makeup. We don't adorn with any jewelry. We don't do anything like that because this is allowed, this is not allowed. That means the comely person, if we apply this the same way, the person that is gifted, we never compliment them. Never do anything to compliment them. Because that would throw the body in schism. Well, that's ridiculous. The intended lesson is violated and contradicted by the way a person has inferred an incidental lesson from it. That's why I'm saying we've got to be extremely cautious and we're over time. So we will conclude next week.